You're listening to audio recorded at Mount Air First Christian Church. For more resources or to contact us, look us up at www.mountairfirstchristianchurch.org. This morning is back in Colossians, the first chapter, verses 15 through 20 again. Colossians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. Looking like unless something else happens, this will be our final uh, week in these five verses here. So Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. He is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or rulers or dominions or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Grass withers, the flower fades, and the word of our God stands forever. So for our text this morning, there's an implication that has to be understood in order for the text really to make any sense or to have its full meaning. And it's this implication that comes when Paul mentions that through Christ, all things are reconciled, right? He says right here at the end, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, verse 19, and through him, being Christ, to reconcile to himself, back to God, to reconcile to himself all things. There's a reconciliation that happens through the work of Christ. So in order for there to be reconciliation, there first must exist some sort of conflict. Reconciliation between parties that have no problem with each other doesn't exist. Uh, if, If you are in the middle of a fight, if you're not in the middle of a disagreement, there's no need for reconciliation. You could go to reconcile a person that's going to facilitate or mediate reconciliation, and you'd show up, and they'd say, well, how can I help? And you'd say, well, we don't have any problems. And they'd say, well, okay, my job is done. You can leave now. There's, in order for there to be reconciliation, there first must be some sort of conflict. You can't bring reconciliation between two friends who have no problems with each other. In order for there to be reconciliation, there first must have been something that brought about a conflict that needs reconciliation. So how do you diagnose what's wrong with the world? I mean, when you look around and just, I mean, just reports of what you hear from from uh, health issues going wrong and just uh, social turmoil and strife in our nation and all the things that are going on in our world, how do you diagnose what's, what's wrong, what's going on? If you're living from a purely naturalistic, um, humanistic worldview that 
all that is here is basically what has come about by evolution and chance, just matter, all that is is matter and it and eventually you know, forms together and, and mutates and whatever and, and evolves and now we have what we have now. If you, if you come from a purely naturalistic standpoint, you have to say that when you look at the world around you, you may see things that you don't like, but it's really hard to say that there are things that are wrong because it just is what it is. Uh, life has just evolved and developed and, and, and cancer is just one of those things that, that is that helps you know, thin out the population or whatever. From a, from a purely humanistic, materialistic, naturalistic viewpoint, when you look at the world, you can't say all these things that are going wrong are bad. You may say there are things you don't like because, well, you just personally, you subjectively, you don't like them. But it's tough to objectively say these things are wrong. If we've just evolved here as a series of random events, then it's impossible to say that things like cancer, things like coronavirus, are a sign that something is wrong. You can't really even say from that viewpoint that murder or that racism are wrong. You can't say that they are wrong things. Under that worldview, they just end up being the way things are with no ability to call them good or bad. That's not the Christian worldview. When we, when we look at the world, we can diagnose that things are wrong. There are things that are bad. There are things that are broken. There are things that are not the way that they should be. We believe that God is a personal God. He is a real being with a personality. And we know this because as being made in his image, we have personality. Because God is not an impersonal force. Sorry, Star Wars fans. I, I love it too. But God is not an impersonal force flowing throughout the universe. He is a real being. And we are made in his image. He has a personality. Therefore, we have personality. We can understand right and wrong. And what we can look and see is that something has gone wrong with the world God has created. Either you have to say, God, uh, everything is just the way God wanted it to be, and then therefore you have a hard time calling God good, or you have to uh, realize that God had created everything. Genesis 1 tells us, how did he make it? He called it good. He made it all he called it good, but something has happened that has given us a world that we now look at and we say, everything's not good. Stuff's broken. Sickness, disease, war, murder, hatred, these things all exist. Something has broken. And that's exactly what we see in Genesis 3, right? If we were to go through the meta-narrative of Scripture with creation, fall is the second big movement in this narrative of Scripture. That everything was created and was good, and now it has fallen and it is broken. Adam and Eve really did live on earth as God's initial created humans, and they sinned as our representatives they sinned. They chose to disobey, and sin and brokenness then entered the world. Sin has entered the world, and all of creation has now been cursed, sits under that fallout of that sin. If you look with me at Romans chapter 5, if you've got your Bible out still, Romans chapter 5 talks about this reality of, of the brokenness of this world. I mean, and so you look at, you start at verse 12. And I just want to, we're talking about the conflict that now exists. 
that there's a conflict, the need for reconciliation is because something is not the way it should be. Something is broken. Something is wrong. So you can look at all these negative statements. There's lots of positive statements in Romans 5. But if we just look at these negative statements, it highlights what the conflict is. Romans chapter 5, verse 12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, that being Adam, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. So there, the entrance of sin into the world, death now, death through sin, death spreads to all men because all sin. Death reigned, verse 14, from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, wasn't as maybe as severe as Adam's initial transgression, but just all these transgressions, sin was coming into the world and then death coming as a result of sin. Verse 17 for if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man. Verse 18, therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men. Verse 18, one trespass led to condemnation for all men. Verse 19, for as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. Verse 20, the law came in to increase the trespass. So that, as verse 21, as sin reigned in death. Now, there's a ton of good news mixed in there as well. I skipped over all the good news stuff because the point that I'm trying to emphasize at this moment is the reality of this conflict that needs reconciliation. Jesus coming to reconcile makes no sense if we don't understand the conflict that is really there. The state of our existence before a holy and righteous God is dire. And without seeing this reality, we have no real view to see the incredible grace of God in providing a way of reconciliation. And this is where many live today. It's where many of us live today. It's where we desire, we feel the pull to live in this way today. We see Jesus. He's a great guy. He's a fine guy. We'll see Jesus as someone who even can help us when we need help. But rarely do we see Jesus as our only hope. Rarely do we see Jesus as our only hope. We might even give Jesus a head nod. Hey, you know, thank you, sir. That's very kind of you. You're, I appreciate you very much. Maybe a thank you. But if we get down to it, there is in us really a sense of self-sufficiency. We are very much... And I don't know if it's, I, I hate to say it's just all our American culture. I think this has existed in humanity from the fall. But, you know, that this very independent, I take care of myself. If it's going to be, it's up to me and I can do it. We have a very self-sufficient mindset. We may confess that we're not perfect, right? I mean, we hear that a lot, right? To err is human, right? Nobody's perfect. I'm not perfect. Nobody's perfect. And to that, all I can say is, you're absolutely right. You aren't, and that's the problem. <laughs> we aren't, and that's the problem. God's standard, Romans 3.23, we all have fallen short of God's standard. God's standard is perfect righteousness. God's standard is holiness, and we haven't met it, not for a moment of our life. And so therefore, because we have not met God's standard, there is now conflict. There is now justice. There is now judgment. 
And that brings in our serious need for a mediator. But not just any mediator, one who is not like us in our sinfulness. We need this, we need someone to come in and mediate for us, and they need to be able to mediate effectively. So we've gone through this New City Catechism uh, just the past few weeks. I just was interesting how those they just kind of came to my thinking, and I've got them up on the screen for you. We had three, we just discussed three uh, catechism questions about this necessity of Jesus to be fully human and fully divine. Question 21 was, what sort of redeemer is needed to bring us back to God? There's that language of there's a separation. We're, we're not with God. We need to come back to God. One who is truly human, able to empathize with us, able to actually represent us by being human, but also truly God. And then it goes into question 22, why does he need to be truly human? That in human nature, he might, on our behalf, perfectly obey the whole law and suffer the punishment for human sin, and also that he might sympathize with our weakness. Christ needed to be human so that he could actually represent us. He needed to become, take on our humanity so that our representative would be like us. But he also needed to be uh, truly God. Question 23, why must the Redeemer be truly God? That because of his divine nature, his obedience and suffering would be perfect and effective. And also that he would be able to bear the righteous anger of God against sin and yet overcome death. Christ needs to be this totally human, totally divine man, mediator, because we need a real representative who needs to be like us so that he can represent us, but not like us in that he's free from sin and able to actually give effective mediation. And that's exactly who Jesus is. He is this one who is truly God and truly man. We see in this verse, in him, the fullness of God, verse 19, for in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Christ is not elevating himself to some sort of deity. He's not escalating. He's not being made into God. He's not just a high, enlightened man. He is God in human flesh. In him, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. So what we see in Jesus is both his supremacy, right? We've been talking about that for these past few weeks, in this verse, Jesus is supreme. He's over all creation. Did you catch it in the Nicene Creed? Did anybody else notice that when we were reading through the Nicene Creed, what we've been talking about in Colossians, through him all things are created and for him, through whom and for whom were all things created. That's what we've been talking about. The Nicene Creed is picking up this Colossian language here of he's this supreme God. He has made all things but he also is sufficient. Christ is supreme and he is sufficient. This is an important point to make because Paul is wanting to make sure and guard the Colossians against seeking to supplement their faith with something else more than Jesus. It was Jesus plus religious observance or Jesus plus whatever effort they could get in or whatever. We'll, we'll get to that later on in this letter. But Paul is emphasizing at this point, Christ is sufficient. He is all that is needed 
for mankind to have reconciliation to their God. Jesus is uniquely sufficient to bring about the reconciliation that humanity needs. And it's right there in that word of fullness. In him, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. If you're looking for God in all of his fullness, you find him in Jesus. Christ's supremacy and his sufficiency go in hand. Because he is supreme over all things, he is sufficient to mediate and to bring about reconciliation. Because he is sufficient to bring about cosmic reconciliation, he is supreme over all things, that he might be in all things preeminent, like our text says. So the reconciliation that Christ is accomplishing, it is this whole world reconciliation. Right? Verse 20, through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven. And that's just a way of speaking that there's nothing, uh, earlier in Colossians, remember he said, um, all things made through him, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or rulers, dominions or authorities, all things are made through him and for him. It's just again, that language of everything is going to be reconciled through Christ. Back in Romans chapter 8, uh, we, we hear this kind of language of the world groaning. Romans chapter 8, verse uh, 19, for, cre for the creation itself, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. When I asked, how, how do you diagnose this world's problems? Paul's, that's what he's addressing. Creation has been subjected and it groans. It's in bondage to corruption. And its creation itself is groaning for the day when all things will be fully reconciled, will be made new. There's a future full reconciliation for all of creation. This broken world that we now struggle with to look at and to see all of the tragedy and all the hard things that are going on in life, one day this broken world will be made new. And all of it is because of the reconciling work of Jesus Christ. He is supreme and he is a sufficient Savior. This does not mean, however... I mean, sometimes you can take this verse in Colossians. It doesn't mean everything will ultimately be saved in this universalistic sense that all of a sudden everyone's going to be ushered through God reconciled through himself all things. Reconciliation can mean that those who deserve justice also receive their punishment. So they will be reconciled, though it may not mean good things for the transgressors. A violator of the law when they are sentenced to their punishment, they could be considered they are reconciled, though it may not be good for the one who's been reconciled. They've been given their just judgment. Um, it's like reconciling your checkbook. I assume you all, you know, at times have to take the money that you have and reconcile it with what the bank says. That can go either good or bad, right? But, but, but reconciling the books, if you find out you have way less money than you thought you had, you're reconciled, but it's not good news, <laughs> 
Or if you get reconciled and find out you had more money than you thought you had, hey, that's good. It's, they're both reconciliation, but one ends up good and one ends up kind of bad. And, and this reconciliation is not universalism, where that all will be saved. If you try to take this verse and say, well, all will be finally be saved and put into God's favor by the reconciling work of Jesus Christ, it's an attractive statement to make. But it fundamentally disagrees with all that the Bible teaches and what Jesus himself taught regarding the punishment of the wicked. The fact of Christ playing the reconciling role of a mediator for the whole world doesn't automatically mean that all will be reconciled favorably. What it means is that there is no one else to operate as mediator for anyone. There's, there's one mediator. There's no other mediator. But also that when he mediates, he is sufficient to bring about true reconciliation. He is sufficient for all men. There is, there is no individual living on the planet that who looking to Christ won't find him to be a sufficient savior. In him, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether visible or invisible, whether on heaven or on earth, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Christ is a sufficient Savior for everyone who would look to him. Paul writes this in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, that there is one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ. Christ is supreme. He's made all things. And what does he do with his supremacy? What does he do with all this greatness, all this authority, when the world rebels, when sinners plunge themselves in death? What does he do with this supremacy? He satisfies the justice required sufficiently for the rescue of sinners. What does he do with his supremacy? He gives a sufficient sacrifice. He makes peace between God and sinners through the sacrifice of his own blood. This is why I stress weekly. You might be able to just repeat it when I start saying it, and I'm okay with that, actually. Christ lived the righteous life we should have lived, died the death that we deserve, so that through repentance and faith, anyone coming to him would be forgiven of their sins, made righteous in his sight, justified, given an eternal life through the resurrection of Christ from the dead. This is what Christ does with his supremacy. And he is a sufficient savior because all the fullness of God dwelled in him. If the fullness of God is for us, what more could we need? If the fullness of God in Christ, in him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And what does he do with this fullness, this supremacy? He makes a sufficient sacrifice to take sinners who are at war with God who are opposed to him by their very nature, and he reconciles them through his blood shed on the cross, if the fullness of God in Christ is for us, what more could we need? It's a rhetorical question. The answer is nothing. The answer is nothing. If the one who is supreme over all things and who is sufficient to accomplish all of his purposes for us, where does that leave us? Full of real hope. Full of real hope. It is so easy. We all, I mean, this is a, this is a silly statement. We all live in this world. <laughs> Duh. That's obvious. We all struggle through this world. We all have things go ways we don't want them to go. We all have 
issues in front of us that we're afraid they might go this certain way. We all have trials and difficulties and troubles. We're all living on the same broken planet. What Christ has done in the fullness of God, he has come and in his sufficiency has said, in my fullness I have directed it towards you by making peace for you through my blood shed on the cross so that you might have real hope that one day when Christ return, returns, all things will be made new and there will be a full and final reconciliation so that Every one of us living through this broken world, not yet fully consummated into Christ's eternal kingdom, could have real hope that the fullness of God, when it came here and dwelled among us, it secured a salvation for sinners. And that is something that is desperately needed in our world and in our lives today. Romans 8 ends just beautifully. With this idea, what does he do with his sufficiency? Romans 8, 31, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, if the fullness of God comes to earth and then spends his own blood to rescue sinners, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who's to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? If, if, if in Christ the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and if he sufficiently makes peace through his blood on the cross, who can separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword, those things might all come. Those things might all occur in our lives. They might come to us. As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Will those things separate us? No, verse 37 says. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Christ is supreme and he is sufficient. He takes that life and he takes that fullness and he brings about reconciliation, making peace for us through his blood shed on the cross. Where does that leave us? Hopefully full of real hope. Christ has worked a real reconciliation with his fullness and his sufficiency and his supremacy so that every one of us in this room this morning, turning from our transgressions, turning from our sins, could know ourselves to be loved by God through the work of the sufficient Savior on our behalf. I pray that we all would know it and rest our hope, rest our lives, rest our future upon the fullness of God where it was pleased to dwell in Him, making reconciliation through for us through His blood shed on the cross. Let's pray. Father, help us to 
see this. Help us to know this. Father, there is one message that we need most, and it is the reconciling message of the gospel that sinners separated from you under your wrath, under your judgment, with no hope of their own power to ever perfect themselves, that we have a way of reconciliation. We have a mediator who is supreme over all things and is sufficient to accomplish salvation because he took his perfect life, his truly human but truly righteous life and shed his blood as a substitute, as a sacrifice on the cross for our sins so that each one of us could know with certainty that our future, our, our real future, not the future as we watch our, uh, the grass of our life wither and we watch the flower that is our life fade away. Not that future, but the real future. We could have hope for the future that the day is coming. You will not fail in your sufficiency to reconcile us fully that we would live forever in the light of your joy. God, may that be pressed down deep into our hearts this morning as we head to communion. Father, help us to reflect on the, the things in our lives that are displeasing to you, the things in our life where we do run from you, not to you, the, the areas of our life we are guarding for ourselves, where we hold on selfishly for our own pleasure, our own profit, our own our own just desire instead of, God, turning from the world and love of the world to love you. That, God, we, we at times wrestle with this flesh and go back to bondage to sin instead of being slaves to you like that Romans 5, Romans 6 passage talked about. Help us this morning that we would, as we go to communion, turn from our sin, that we would look to Christ who took the punishment for that sin upon himself so that through faith in his work, no merit of our own, no doing of our own, simply trusting Christ, we would be forgiven, made righteous in your sight, granted eternal life, given a eternal hope and a future. Press these gospel truths deep into us this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.